Well, welcome everybody. We're so glad you're joining in with us. Those of you joining in from our Ashley Park campus there in the theater and for those of you watching us online, we are so thankful that you're here today. And as you saw in that last video, and if you were here last week, you heard Ed introduce this uh, series to us. We are taking a journey this summer uh, through one book in your Bible, which is actually a letter. It was a letter written by a guy named James who just happened to have a really famous brother named Jesus. And you may have heard us say this before. I know I've said it before, but when the guy who grew up with Jesus, who had the same parents as Jesus, who spent so much time with Jesus, uh, when he claims that Jesus is the Son of God, he wasn't just his brother, that he was God in the flesh, well, you kind of take that seriously. You know, when, when a guy says that his brother is the one that rose from the dead, uh, it, it kind of carries weight when a guy says that. So uh, we, we study this book because James has so much to say about what it means to follow Jesus because, I mean, James went to his grave claiming that Jesus wasn't just his brother, that he was his Lord. And so, uh, as we said last week, uh, James makes some bold statements about what it means to follow Jesus. And so we're going to walk through this book together. And hopefully you took the challenge that Ed gave us last week. We're going to continue this all through the summer to read the book of James once a week, every week. In fact, James has just five chapters, so you can read it Monday through Friday. You just start on Monday with chapter one, and you'll be through the whole book of James um, when you get to Friday. So hopefully you guys are doing that. If not, you can join in with us. We're doing this all summer long. But I'm going to dive right in and just start with the first verse, and we're going to walk through this book uh, together. So here's how James starts his letter. And in the ancient world, you always started with who you were, and that's how you started out a letter. So James introduces himself. He says this. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Now, this may not interest anybody here except for me, but I've always found it fascinating how James decides to introduce himself at the very beginning of this letter. Uh, notice, he, he starts out, and, 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 and I don't know about you, but if, if it were me, and, and I was writing a letter to some Christians who have, obviously, a high uh, opinion of Jesus. I mean, they, maybe even some of these people witnessed the resurrection, but at least they have faith that Jesus is the Son of God and has risen from the dead. So they think a lot of Jesus. If I were James, and, and I were writing a letter to these folks... I probably would have started with something like this. Hey, look, I'm James, and, and I'm the brother of Jesus. I grew up with the guy. I spent more time with him than any of you did. So you need to listen up to what I have to say. I don't know. That's just how I would have done it if I want people to listen to what I have to say. But James doesn't do that at all. I mean, look at what he does. He, he just simply says this. He says, look, hi, I'm James, and, and you just need to know, I'm just a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. That's profound to me. James didn't pull rank. He didn't name drop. He didn't power up. And I think I know why. Because I think he learned it from his brother. His brother who became his Lord. See, Jesus was the one who had every right to power up, to pull rank. I mean, Jesus was God. And instead, he chose a different route. He came as a servant. And James is just following in his brother's footsteps. And as soon as he introduces himself, he just says, look, I, I'm just a servant. And then he dives right into what he wants to talk about to these people that he's writing this letter to. And he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever. Now, 
Before I read the rest of that sentence, I want to ask you a, a question to consider. And, and if you already know how James finishes this sentence, maybe you've been reading it this week, uh, I want you to pretend like you don't know how he finishes the sentence. And I want you just to imagine for just a second, what would you put at the end of that sentence? I mean, in other words, what, what do you consider to be pure joy when it happens? Well, what is it in your life that you would call pure joy? Well, I got some answers to that question, and I'm sure you do too. I mean, I consider it pure joy when I get a day off to relax and I can do whatever I want. I consider it pure joy when my family's healthy and when I'm happy and when they're happy and when we're all getting along. I consider pure joy to be my favorite meal or my most comfortable clothes or, or my favorite weather and my, my favorite vacation destination when I have lots of money and, and when I'm doing well and I'm happy. See, that's pure joy to me. And I bet if you made a list of what's pure joy to you, it'd sound a lot like that too. That's why the rest of the sentence, it's like a shock to the system. James says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Now, that's different, isn't it? James says, look, it's not the good or the pleasant or the easy things in this life where we can find pure joy. And the reason he says that is because, well, that's what you already do, right? When things are easy and things are going good, you always consider that pure joy. It doesn't take any effort. I mean, that's just natural, right? But this is something different. James says, look, the, the hard stuff, the difficulty, the, the pain, the struggles in this life, as Christ followers, that's where joy can be found. And that leaves us all kind of well, scratching our heads because, let's be honest, that's the opposite of what you think. That's the opposite of how we live. And I want to show you something about the way James phrases this verse and I'll go ahead and apologize because I know this is going to come off and sound like an, I'm giving you an English lesson. But just hang with me because it's important to understand what he's really saying. I want you to look at that sentence one more time. Part of that sentence that James writes is passive. In other words, it's just something that happens to you. It's something that's being done to you. Then there's another part of this sentence, and it's active. It means, in other words, it means something that you do or something that you control. And I know that sounds technical, but it really does matter to what it is we're going to learn here. Look at the sentence. He says, consider it pure joy. See that word right there, consider? That's an active word, isn't it? That's something that you do. That's something that you can control. But watch this. He says, consider it pure joy when you what? Face. There's that word, face. Now, face, in that context, it's, it's a passive word. In other words, he's saying, I encounter trials. I face hard times. See, in other words, stuff just happens in my life and in your life, and I don't really have a whole lot of control over it. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes our bad choices don't put us in bad circumstances. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just pointing out to you that I don't ultimately, and you don't ultimately have full control over the trials that you face in this life. But according to James, we do have control over something. We have control over how we consider those trials because he just states it like a command. He says, no, you need to do this. It's a commandment. Now, so what? What does that have to do with anything in real life? Well, think about it this way. That's not how you and me tend to build our lives. That's not how we think life really works. 
In fact, we, we do the opposite. See, most of us, me included, most of us spend the majority of our time, the majority of our energy, really trying to control the outcomes and the circumstances of our lives. We spend a whole lot of time trying to keep the bad things, the difficult circumstances of life from happening to us or from coming our way. We spend a whole lot of time trying to protect ourselves from anything negative or anything bad coming into our lives. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I want to be clear about that. I'm not saying that you can't control some circumstances some of the time. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't live and be careful and make sure that you protect the people that you love and prevent the bad things from happening. That's, that's a fine thing to do, but let's just be honest for a second. How's that working out for you? I mean, in the end, have, have you ever been able to completely keep the bad stuff from happening in your life? Is there, any, is there anybody here who's figured out a way to completely insulate your life from all suffering, from all danger, from all sickness? I mean, if you have, I'd really like to spend some time with you this week because that would be helpful to me. <laughs> but, but, but my point is this. Many of the outcomes and many of the circumstances in your life and in my life, well, they're just mostly out of my control. See, that's why James uses that language. He says we wind up facing trials of many kinds. But, he says, there is a portion in this life that you and I do control every single time. We control how we consider the outcomes and circumstances in life. See, the consider part, that's up to you. That's up to me. See, that's the lens that I tend to view my life through. That's the context that I usually view my life in, and I, and I get to decide what that is. I get to decide how I consider my trials or my hurts, and I, I choose whatever that is. But again, that's not how most of us wind up living. I mean, see, when trials come, when hard times come, when we struggle, when we go through pain, suffering, what do we do? We worry, we despair, we, we sometimes panic. And you wind up in this spiral, and it spirals down. It's just this flood of negative thoughts that wind up coming into your head, and you just spiral down with it. And most of us just assume, well, this is how everybody does it, because this is just the natural way to handle hard times. And, and James is just saying, look, don't buy into that lie, because that's not really true. You do have the ability to consider your circumstances differently than you consider them. And so that's why James invites us to do this. Let me give you a, another way to think about this. Think of it like this. Uh, you and I, we live in two worlds. We live in the world. Now, what's the world? Well, the, the world is just the world around us, the circumstances, the outcomes, the, the things that are going on that are happening all around me. That's the world. And I don't have a whole lot of control over the world around me, right? I mean, for the most part, things just happen, and I live in this world. And so I live in the world, but I also live in what you might want to refer to as my world. Now, what's my world? Well, my world consists of my thoughts, my emotions, my beliefs, my attitudes. But where does my world exist? Where does all of that stuff come from? Right here, in my mind. It's my thoughts. That's where my world exists. See, my world is where I create my thoughts about the world around me. My world is where I make decisions. My world is where I make my thoughts. 
I form my plans. It's where I react. It's where I respond to everything that happens around me. But I'm living in both places. But here's the key for us to remember and to understand. Even though I can never fully control the world around me, I have full control over my world that exists in my head. See, regardless of what goes on around me, I get to decide what I think. I get to decide how I feel. I get to decide how I will consider all of these events that are happening, both good and bad, whatever this world decides to throw at me. And what James is simply saying is this. He's saying when those things come into your life, when you face trials, when stuff happens, things that you never wanted to happen, things that you never would have planned on, things that you may have been trying to prevent to happen in your life, you may not have control over those things, but you have complete control over how you consider those things or how you think about those things or what category those things go into in your mind. What is my attitude going to be as I face these things in, my, in the world around me? And since you have that ability and since you have that power, James just comes into the picture and he says, hey, can I just make a suggestion on how you consider those things or what you think about those things? He says, how about this? How about taking all those trials and all those struggles and all those hard times and all those pains and all those sufferings and everything that this world throws your way and in your heart and in your mind, take all of that stuff and you just place it in another category. Put it into the pure joy file. Stick it into the pure joy box and you just consider that as being joy. Now, why would anybody do that? I mean, what's the benefit to me if I decide to do that? Well, he gives us the answer in the next phrase, verse 3. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And what's interesting is right here, he actually links two things together, and he kind of makes them sound like they're exactly the same thing. He takes two words, and he basically equates them. He says, these two things are exactly the same, trials and testing. Trials, trials are just tests, is basically what he says. He says, consider it joy when trials come into your life. Why? Because, he says, they're just a test of your faith. This is only a test. Now, what's the purpose of a test? Well, a test is just simple. test is just something that introduces stress on you that is for the purpose of really seeing what's there. I'll give you an example. When a car company puts their car in a crash test, what are they doing? They're placing that car in a real-world situation, the stress that it would endure or experience when it's involved in a crash. And what they want to discover is, what's this car really made of? Is it, does it have the ability to protect the people inside? Is it going to function the way we hoped when we made it? What's underneath? That's what the crash test reveals. When it, maybe you're in school and a teacher introduces a test and she's going to give you an exam. What is that doing? Well, simply, a, a teacher is just introducing stress on your knowledge. And what they're trying to find out is, underneath the stress, how much knowledge is really there? How much knowledge was retained? Has this student really mastered this concept or this skill that we've been learning? So the stress of the test actually reveals what's actually there. When you go to a doctor, a doctor will put you on a treadmill and give you a stress test. What, what is that for? Because they're measuring your heart or your body underneath stress. Because they can't figure it out unless the stress is there. 
They're just uncovering something that you can't see under a normal circumstances. But once you introduce the stress, it reveals what's there. It reveals the health of the body. And see, this is precisely what pain and suffering do in your life and in my life. Trials are a test. They reveal what's underneath. They tell me what my faith is made of. Because, see, you know this is true. This is true about you and me, all of us. Faith is easy when life is easy, right? I mean, when, when everything's going good and everything's smooth and everything's working out, it's easy to trust God. It's easy to have faith. But it's different when there's stress, when there's trial, when there's pain, when there's suffering. Stress is a test, and it reveals what my faith is made of. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, once you come through a hard time, a trial, which in reality, remember, it's just a test. It's going to produce something in your life. He says it's going to produce perseverance. And perseverance is just a word that refers to somebody who doesn't quit, who just doesn't move, who stays put, who's constant. And he says if you persevere, if you hang in there, that perseverance will eventually lead you towards something. You'll come out on the other end of that more mature, more complete, not lacking anything. In other words, that trial that you endure, that pain, this hurt that you go through, if you endure it, it's a tool that can be used to make you stronger than you were before. Most of us hear that, I hear that, and, and I think what you think. Think, well, I don't like that. I, 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 don't, I don't like that because, sure, I want to be stronger. I want to be complete. I want to be more mature. Everybody wants that. But I'd like to get those things in a different way. I, I'd like to have that without the stress. I'd like to have that without the test or without the trial or without the struggle. <laughs> How can I get me more maturity and more completeness and, and being stronger without having to go through the pain. And what's interesting is, whereas we, that's what we want, we all know that that's not how anything else in life works. It's interesting how we accept this concept in every other arena of our lives, and yet when it comes to our spiritual life and our, well, our, our real life, our emotional life, we want something different. Think of it this way. Think about a, a great athlete that you really admire. Somebody who's just at the top of their game, you just look up to them for all the skill and the mastery that they have in their sport, you know? Somebody that's really good at what they do. How do you think they achieved greatness in their sport? Well, it's very simple. They entered into some kind of trial, some kind of test, some kind of stress or strain on their body. Now, when they did that, do you think it hurt? Do you think it was difficult? Do you think it was painful? Absolutely. But, as soon as they experienced the pain of the test or the training, they said something to themselves. Now, they could have said this. They could have said, oh, this hurts. I don't like this, and, and, and I'm just going to stop. I'm going to go do something that doesn't put stress on me, that's not painful, that's not a struggle, that doesn't require any endurance. Now, they could have done that. But would they have ever achieved maturity and greatness in the sport? No. See, the pain they felt indicated something to them, but it didn't indicate to them that I should quit. It wasn't an indicator that this is wrong, this is bad. The pain was an indicator to them that something was happening, something was changing. And so, think of it this way, 
in the midst of their pain, they made a mental decision. They considered the pain something else. They considered this pain is not pointless. This pain is not without meaning. This pain is going to lead me somewhere. This, in fact, is a reminder to me that I'm on the right track. And so now I'm going to consider this pain to be a joy, to be my friend. And I'm going to keep going through it. And I'm going to persevere through it. And I'm going to use it. Because I know that once I've come through it and I've persevered, I'm going to wind up with an ability that I did not have before. See, we all understand that this is how your body works, right? I mean, if, if you're ever going to create muscles in your body that are stronger and larger, they have to experience some strain. In fact, anybody who, who does bodybuilding knows that every time you lift a weight, you're, what you're doing is really you're tearing down your muscle fibers. There are these tiny fibers within your muscles, and you're just breaking them apart. You're tearing them up. But once that stress is entered into it and you felt that stress and it's over, the muscles go to work and they start to repair themselves and they build themselves back, but only stronger. This time they build themselves back bigger. And that's where the, the strength and where the endurance comes from. So the more pain and stress you put your body under, the stronger your body becomes. And See, see James is just saying, look, what's true about your body is true about your life. It's true about your circumstances. So having thought of all of that, and with all of that as our background, I'm going to read that passage one more time, and I just want you to think of it and look at it through that lens. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you can be more mature and complete, not lacking anything. See? He says, if you want to change, if you want to grow, if you want to mature, you want to be stronger in your faith, you have to persevere. But you cannot persevere without being tested. And there is no test without a trial or without stress or without pain. See, when trials come into your life, when tests come, and trust me, they will. I mean, you probably already knew that. I didn't have to tell you that. Because, look, you can't completely control what does or doesn't happen in your life. You cannot prevent all of the pain from happening. So when they come, he says, don't run from them. Don't just simply try to avoid them. He says, you can choose a different path. Endure it. Push through it. Persevere through the pain. How do I do that? Well, it starts up here. You make a mental choice. You make a decision. I'm going to consider this pain, this time in my life, as something I may not have ever considered it before. Not as something to be avoided. Not as something to be dreaded. But something that can wind up for my good, for my joy. And you just put it in that category for a time. And you just say to yourself, you know what? This hurt, this pain, this struggle, I would have never chosen it. But this is a test. It's a test of my faith. It's a test. It's a training time for me. So I'm going to hold on. I'm going to push through. I'm going to consider this joy for me. Why? Because I know that if I do that, I can come out on the other side. And I'm going to possess something. I'm going to learn something that I would have never learned any other way. I'm going to be more complete. I'm going to be more mature. And my faith is going to grow through it. Now, I can imagine that 
some of you here today are saying to yourself, well, fine, that all sounds good because you're just talking in theory. It's all good on paper. But you hadn't heard my story. Because it's different when you're the one in pain. It's different when you're the one who's grieving. It's different when you're the one who's struggling. And you're right. And the reason I know you're right is because I felt it. I've been the one who struggled. I've been the one who's been in pain. And you're right, someone like me and verses like this from the Bible, that they sound different when you're in the midst of it, when you're the one who's struggling. And I just want you to know, I, I don't say this lightly, and I'm not insensitive to whatever it is that you're going through, but you also need to know that neither is the man who wrote these words. He's not insensitive to pain and suffering. So you have to keep in mind that James is writing to an audience, and the audience that he's writing to is a group of people who have literally been driven out of their homeland. They have left their homes. They're running for their lives because of their faith in Jesus. So they're not immune to suffering. You also need to know that just a few years before James would put pen to paper and and write these words, he watched the government that he lived under arrest, falsely accuse, torture, and kill his very own brother. You also need to know that just a few years after he would write these words, James himself would be captured and executed for claiming that his brother was his Lord. So he's not blind to the reality of pain and suffering. And still in the midst of it, he tells us, you can consider it pure joy. How could he say that? Where does he get the authority? Where does he get the the gall to say something like that? Well, I've thought about it, and I've studied it, and, and I, don't, I don't have any better explanation than this. In fact, I can't come up with a better explanation than this. James witnessed the worst of suffering, but he also saw the other side of suffering. See, James watched his brother executed, but he also watched his brother three days later walk out of a grave, and he saw the truth that suffering actually can be considered joy. That's the best explanation that I have. And I believe that experience was enough for James to then come to people like me and you and say to us, you can consider this. I want to invite you. You can have the same confidence that I have that on the other side of suffering, there's joy. And besides, think of it this way. What else is the alternative? Because remember, you get to decide what category you put your pain in. What other categories do you have? I mean, if you don't consider it a joy and an opportunity to grow when you experience trials in this life, what else can you consider it? And then where does that path lead you? But here's what I know. And I think I, I'm, I can be pretty confident in saying this. That there are some of you here today, and, and you've been... You've been alive long enough to have gone through some times that caused you to struggle and caused you a lot of pain and caused you a lot of grief, and you persevered in your faith. And even though you would have never gone back, and you don't want to go back and do it again, you don't want anybody else to go through what you've been through. You would never want to do that again. You can sit here, even though maybe at the time you could not have considered it to be joy. From where you sit here today, you can say, you know what? I'm better. I'm stronger. I'm different. Because of what I endured and what I persevered. And I can look back on it now and I can say that there was joy there. 
And listen, I know there are some of you here today, and you're right in the middle of some pain and some struggle and some trial. You've lost someone or you've lost something very precious to you. Your body is betraying you. It's breaking down. Or maybe the dreams that you've had all your life look like that maybe they're just not going to turn out like you'd hoped. Maybe you've got a relationship that's just falling apart or you have no idea where the money's going to come from. And right now, life is just hard. And I don't want to just, I just want to say to you, I get it. And I may not know exactly how you feel. In fact, I, I never would claim to know. But I acknowledge that you're struggling and you're hurting and the pain is real. And we want to help. Today when you walked in, maybe you've already noticed that there was a card on your seat. It looks like this. I want to encourage you right now to just take this card and just hold it in your hand and just look at it for just a second. I want, I want to ask you to do that. And, and I want to give you some time to actually stop and to consider. Consider what God has either brought you through in your past or maybe for you to consider what you might be going through right now. And in just a moment, we're going to go into a time in our service that we observe here every week where we remember the, the pain and suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus went through when he died on the cross on our behalf. And we call this time communion. See, every week in our service, we, we take a moment and we remember Jesus on the cross by taking emblems that represent his body and his blood. We eat and drink bread and juice. And it's just a physical reminder of the pain and the humiliation that Jesus suffered on our behalf. But even though all of that pain and all of that suffering, uh, he endured that, at the same time, communion is a time when we celebrate that three days later, he conquered death and he conquered evil once and for all for us. So around the room today are some tables. In fact, at the theater, you'll find tables at the top of the, of the stands and all the way at the bottom. And we place the emblems of bread and juice there for, for you to take and to eat in just a moment. And you're welcome in just a moment to go to the table that's closest to you and uh, to take part in communion. But before you do that, here's what I want to ask you to do. Don't just get up from your seat when I release you. I want to give you some time to just sit and to contemplate and to consider. I want you to take this card and I want you to read it again with the scripture that's printed on it. And I want you to consider maybe a trial or a test that you came through in your past. And don't just focus on the pain. Focus on how God brought you through that trial. Or maybe for you, it's something you're going through right now. Maybe you're in the midst of a trial right now, and I know it, it seems really difficult for you to see it as anything other than pain. It's difficult to consider it joy. But would you take a risk today and simply just take a moment and imagine what might God be trying to produce in me? What might be on the other side of this hard time that I'm going through? And would you not only just consider the pain that you're facing right now, would you consider maybe that there's joy on the other side of it that God wants to bring you through, that anything is possible with God? And, and as you leave today, everybody can just, why don't you just take this card with you? Place it somewhere this week where you'll see it and can read it and you can remind it be a reminder to you to consider your trial and your test as joy now today if you're here and you're not sure you you buy into anything that i said maybe you don't even believe what we believe here that's okay we just want you to know you're welcome here and you don't have to fake it and you certainly don't have to participate in communion and pretend that you believe something you don't that we don't want you to do that 
Maybe this could be a moment for you to just stay in your seat and just consider, just to think, maybe just to pray and ask God what he wants to teach you through this experience. I think he wants to answer that prayer. But for followers of Jesus, man, the Bible says this. It says that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross for the joy set before him. See, Jesus isn't asking you and me to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. Jesus knew how to consider his trials as pure joy. No matter how joyless it seemed in the moment, no matter how hard it might have been, Jesus set his mind on what's ahead, and he considered it joy. And so in communion, we don't just remember Jesus' suffering either. We remember the joy of the resurrection. So spend a few moments right where you are, and just think and consider before you move into taking communion today, simply stop and consider your own trials and remember the suffering of Jesus. And at the same time, think of the joy of his resurrection. So let's do that right now.